Hi, my name is Luke. Um, <laughs> there's not a good way to transition from that. And I think, you know, in, in many ways, I think we're going to just continue to um, pray for the Dieters as uh, the week goes on and as the day goes on. Um, but this morning, wanted to um, wanted to open God's word with you and see what he has for us. Um, we've been in the book of Romans. We've been slowly kind of going through bit by bit, chunk by chunk. And today we come to a passage at the end of Romans chapter 2, but we probably won't get there for just a little bit. Um, we're going to be in the Old Testament a little bit, and we're going to kind of be talking about some of the um, the we're going to be connecting the Bible. The Bible tells one coherent story. A lot of times we see it in small chunks, whether that's through Bible study or whatever we have, but it also tells one significant connected story. And today we're going to get a glimpse of that story. So what we've talked about so far in the book of Romans is Paul kind of starts out with this proclamation of his summary of what he's talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. He says this, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, right there, says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, and it brings salvation to everyone who would believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And we've got these two categories of people, he says, those who are Jewish and those who are not Gentiles. And Paul throughout the book, at least so far in particular, has gone back and forth. He's talked about Gentiles who don't know God, and he's talked about Jews who should know God, but seem to act like they don't. And Paul has leveled the playing field. He said, the Gentiles, they have no excuse because they suppress the truth of God through what is plainly known about him in creation and in the whole world. And then the Jews who have the word of God, the commandments of God, seem to ignore what he has said. And so Paul is leveling the playing field. And so what we've got to kind of ask ourselves as Paul is kind of leveling this playing field is who then are God's people? If, if the playing field is equal, who do we know belongs to God? Who is God's people? That's kind of the question that we kind of have to ask ourselves. And, you know, we always kind of, there's ways we can kind of tell who people are, right? If you were to come and hang out with uh, me and my family, you would know um, that my family, me, my four younger brothers and my dad are all related. Why? Because we all share the same hairline. 
Um, my youngest brother is catching up. Um, he wants to deny it, but it is coming. Um, we are all bald. Um, and we all wear beards most of the time. Um, we all, I very, like, if you could just imagine, like, a little bit of hair around here, kind of like a monk, and lots of gray, that would be my dad. So I am a spitting image of my dad in some ways. And so um, thank you, Dad, for the hairline. Um, but we, right, we all know, like, who we are because of different markers, right? You know what sports team you guys are rooting for because of what, what gear you got on today, right? We all know um, we have those markers. You can tell if someone is from the Midwest or if they're from the South or if they're from New England based on their accent, right? We've all got these like markers or indicators of who we are, of where we belong and, and indicators of who we are. And so what are the markers of God's people? How did God set aside um, people for himself? In the book, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 to be specific. But the book of Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. And the book has the beginning of so many things. But we have that story. Some of the stories of Genesis are some of the most well-known, right? We have the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. We have the story of Cain and Abel. We have the story of Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, all of these things. God has all of humanity. And humanity, so far in the story, has done one single thing, and that is rebel against God. At every single point, God has set mankind apart and says, follow me, I'm your God, I created you, and they choose not to. They choose to elevate themselves, we choose to uh, serve other gods, and God is kind of, I mean, he's done a lot at this point. He's flooded the entire world, he's scattered the languages, and God decides to call apart not just all of humanity, but he decides to call apart one family. He says, I'm going to take one family. I'm going to call you apart to be my people. And that's where we drop into in Genesis chapter 12. We'll read the first four verses here. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's house. Hold to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord has told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So God calls out Abram. He's like, I'm asking you to leave all of your family. I'm asking you to leave your people, your hometown. You're 75. I know it's a little late for a midlife crisis, but it's happening now. I would like you to come out with me, and I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to give that land to you, and I'm going to call you into being a nation, a people set apart. 
Now, there's a lot that happens in the story of Abraham, but we're going to skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 17. And this is where God comes again, and he sets apart, he adds a new layer to the covenant that he's made. And the covenant is a fancy word in the Bible for promise. It's a way of establishing a relationship between a promise. The covenant that we are most familiar with in our modern ages, because we don't make covenants on a day-to-day basis anymore, right? The covenant we're most familiar with is marriage. That's the marriage covenant. It's a relationship formed over a promise, over a relationship that is bound together. And so God makes a promise to Abraham in chapter 17. We're going to read this section here and walk through it a little bit. So, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, and the Lord said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you. He's going to establish a relationship between him and Abram, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abram, he fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make the nations of you and the kings you will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Here's a key place right here. It says, to be your God and the God of your descendants, right? He's establishing a relationship. I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to be the God of your descendants. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh to be an everlasting covenant. So God says, I'm going to become your God. And I'm going to become your descendants, God. And the sign of how we know that, right, the symbol, just like in a wedding, right, the symbol of the wedding is the ring, right, the symbol of that is circumcision, that God gives the people of Abraham. And that becomes the sign for the entire household. And so... We all have, right, just like I said, we've all got these ideas of, like, signs representative of 
relationships. And so God, from the very beginning, establishes a relationship and then gives a sign, a mark, a way of understanding that the whole household was set apart for God. And so, but then that's not the end of the story. If we know with the story goes on and you know the story of Joseph and his brothers and of Jacob and all of that, that continues on. But the people of Israel find themselves in captivity in Egypt. God sends a delivery. He brings Moses and he delivers his people out of slavery and brings them back into the land of Canaan, which is to be theirs, which is what God promised here in that passage. And God establishes a deeper, a new covenant with them. So let's Turn forward in our Bible to the next book, Genesis, Exodus 19. God has rescued his people from the Egyptians. He's brought them out. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've made it, and they've come to Mount Sinai, and God has stopped, and he's now, now we're going to establish the relationship again. We're going to establish the relationship and the covenant, the symbols of that relationship again. And so we're going to be here, Exodus 19. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 here. It says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so God sets apart. He's like, you are going to be my nation, my people. I'm going to set you apart. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he gives them all of these rules and ways of living, things that govern from what they eat to how they dress to how they trim their beards to how their daily life should live how their weekly life should be, how their monthly life should be lived, and how their yearly rhythms ought to be governed, each set apart. And so we have here at the end of all of this, we have from birth, every household was set apart by circumcision and lifestyle. The whole Jewish community was set apart, and you could tell that they were gods, not just because of circumcision, but also because of how they lived their entire lives. They said, the way we live, the way we operate, everything we do from the moment we are born until the moment we die, we are set apart for God. We are God's people. And God's intention with all of that, right, was to set apart a people so that he could bless them and be with them so that they might be seen by the rest of the world. That the rest of the world might look at the Jews and say, Their God is real. Their God is with them. And we want to know that God. And throughout the Old Testament and into the time where Jesus is around, there are many converts. It's a a thing that's in the Bible. It's not often talked about. But there are people who are Gentiles, people who are not born Jewish, who see the God of Israel and say, I want him to also be my God. And they come they are circumcised and they begin to live among the Jews and they follow the Lord. But that isn't the way that the most of the story ends up going, unfortunately. Because 
it would be great if the people followed the Lord. And unfortunately, uh, they don't. If we move forward to the book of Leviticus, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus is kind of a, it's, well, one, it's a book of the Bible not very many people read uh, because it can be a little bit laborsome to read through. But it is a book of the Bible that takes the law that God gave his people and it and it it's like the it's like a really in-depth overview of it it's all the different circumstances and things that a family and a culture and a town could go through God talks about it here and he enumerates it here and we're going to go to 26 of Leviticus chapter 26 I'm going to go to verse 40 and this is what God says He says, but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile towards them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, which we read early about, and I will remember the land. So God here in this passage is saying, if they do not keep my covenant, they do not continue to behave, to act as if they are my people, I will send them out of the land. I will not keep them there. And then God says, but if they do turn back to me, if they follow me, if they confess their uncircumcised hearts, Now, I don't know if you were paying attention, but so far, God has not talked about hearts being circumcised, right? He's talking here. He's saying not, he's talking about uncircumcised hearts. That's not where circumcision normally happens, right? Okay. Um, And so what, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) Thank you, Cameron, for affirming. (laughs) We got it now. All right. (laughs) Point made. Um, So what does God mean when he says an uncircumcised heart? He's talking about, he's like, circumcision was only ever a symbol. It was only ever a sign of what? Of a relationship, of an inward disposition, of a way in which we were connected to God. And if we don't keep that, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, right? And so the story of God's people throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament is a story of continually turning to the Lord, entering into prosperity, and then forgetting about the Lord and wandering astray and worshiping idols and breaking relationship and breaking covenant until consequences come, and then Lord brings out the faithful and brings them back to him, and then they forget again. And this cycle repeats over and over and over as they establish from sort of independent coalition of tribes to an international kingdom that rules and conquers until they eventually, the Lord says, I'm going to take you out of the land because you have not 
acted as my people. You have not kept my covenant. If we turn forward in the book of the Bible to Jeremiah, it's after Isaiah. If you can find the big book of Isaiah, you can find Jeremiah. It's after the book of Psalms. Jeremiah chapter 9 is what we're looking for. Guys didn't realize how much you were going to be turning throughout the Bible today, did you? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. So, Jeremiah is one of the last prophets of Israel. He's considered the weeping prophet because Jeremiah's prophecies oversee the last days of the kingdom of Israel before they fall to foreign captors and they're taken into exile. And so Jeremiah, he sees a lot and a lot of sad and awful things. And this is part of his message Verse 23 says this, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches, but let one who boasts boast about this thing, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. And so here, God says, I'm going to bring judgment on all the people who were not my people, but also on my people because they have not acted as my people. They have not kept my covenant. They have behaved in such a way as to nullify the symbol of our covenant. They are uncircumcised of their heart, and so I will treat them all the same. God wants relationship more than he wants a sign. God was always, throughout the entire Old Testament, concerned about the heart of his people, about a relationship between his people more than he was over a sign or symbol or perfectly keeping the law. He's like, no, you would do that if you wanted to honor me. If we're in relationship, you would want to honor me. And so you would keep these signs, you would keep these symbols because they are the ways that I have asked you to honor me, right? So let's turn forward to the book of Romans, the book we're actually preaching out of today. We're going to read, I think, just four verses, or five verses. Yeah, four verses. Romans chapter 2, 
verse 24. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. Verse 25 of chapter 2 of the book of Romans says this. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then... If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will, not, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though they have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person who is not a Jew is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. (coughs) So what do we have here? Let's just break this down because it's kind of back and forth and Paul's, it's kind of, Hard to follow, perhaps, what Paul is saying. Verse 25. Let's just see what that one verse says. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you've not been circumcised. The symbol has value if you keep the relationship. Right? If you, let's stick with the covenant of marriage since it is the most well-known and understood covenant that we have today. Right? We have the symbol of marriage, a ring, which is meaningful as long as I continue to behave as though I am married. If I begin to behave like I was single, that would be very inappropriate. My wife would be very angry with me. But that would be, it would be nullifying the importance and meaning of this symbol. Right? It would be disregarding it. This it has importance and meaning because it is a reminder to me of the relationship I have and how I ought to be living my life. We, the sign is only valuable if the relationship is honored. The symbol of circumcision of following the Lord of doing those things is only of value if there is relationship, if we are seeking to honor God in it. If it's just, if I just went to a store, bought a ring and put it on my finger without ever having made a covenant with my wife, I would not be married. I'd be a guy wearing a ring, right? Similarly, Paul is saying, if you do not actually follow the Lord, but you have some of the things that make it look like you do, you don't actually know the Lord. So verse 26 through 29, say this again. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, 
will they not be regarded as though they are circumcised? Paul's saying, look, there are people out there who would follow the Lord who are not circumcised, Gentiles who weren't circumcised on the eighth day, they eat pork, they don't keep the law, but they follow the Lord. Does that not count? He's saying, is that not the more important thing? Will they not be regarded as though they are God's people? Will God not look at their heart and see that's the indicator of my people, of who they are? 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are lawbreaker. Paul's talking to the Jews who know the Lord, and he's saying, you guys have circumcision, you have the sign, you have all the trappings, you're part of the original family that God set apart, but because you're not honoring the Lord, you're being dishonored by the fact that these Gentiles are honoring the Lord. A person is not a Jew, is a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people. Relationship with God is a matter of the heart and not outward appearance. You are God's people, not because of how you look, not because of what someone can see about you and determine. It is not because you come to church. It's not because you take communion. It's not because you've been baptized. Those things are outward signs and symbols of belonging to the body of Christ. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, they are merely empty things. Relationship with God. Let's put it this way. Circumcision equals set apart for God. It's what the meaning, the symbol of it kind of symbolized for the people. When God gave it to Abraham, he's like, I'm setting you apart. You're going to be my people. All of your household, all of your children are going to be marked by this. And it's going to be the symbol that says that you are mine. A circumcised heart is a life set apart for God. A circumcised heart, a heart that is connected in relationship to God, is a willingness to not set aside a physical appearance, but to set aside my life, to set aside how I live my relationships, my day-to-day, how I spend my time, how I make my decisions, not based upon my own self, my own desires, my own things, but based upon Christ and who he has called me to be. I want to read again Paul, but I want to read another place where he picks up the same idea in the book of Colossians. Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul here, he talks about circumcision a lot throughout the New Testament because 
It is one of those things that was such a key and central way of how the Jewish people understood themselves that Paul had to talk about it over and over again to beat this point to the ground, to say it is not about the outward symbol, it is about the inward disposition and connection of the heart to God. And Paul here in verse 6 says this. He says, So so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the element spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He's talking about rather than someone come up to you and saying, look, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. You've got to like say these magic words. You've got to be circumcised. He's like, don't be deceived. It's Christ alone. He goes on to say, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head Over every power and authority in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried, what do we do when we baptize? We put you under the water. You were buried with Christ, with him in baptism in which you were also, when we pull you back up, raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead? When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen Amen and amen. We are called to live like we follow Jesus. If in baptism, our old self, the self that was governed by our own desires, governed by our sinful nature, by the way we were born into this world, was put to death. When we went into the waters and we came back up and we left that behind, then we ought to live like that's what happened. We ought to live like we actually follow Christ. We ought to live like you left behind the old self controlled by sin. That's the call is that we ought to just align our lives to live a circumcised life by living like we follow Jesus. Living like he actually has transformed our heart, our mind, our soul, and our body. I think one of the best ways I can kind of put this is back what we read earlier in Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23. Verse 23 and 24 say this. This is what the Lord says. 
Hear the word of the Lord. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the riches boast or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me and that I am the Lord who exercises kindness or loving faithfulness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. Don't boast about something that we ourselves did. Don't boast about our kingdom. Boast about knowing the Lord. Ought we display in our life, not our success, not our riches, not our, not our story that we want people's pity from, not our success that we want people's admiration from. We ought to display one thing in our life. We ought to boast one name only, and it's not ours, it's Christ. And when we do that, when we live a life marked by faithfulness, kindness, and justice, the Lord delights in those things. And so we ought to live a life that delights in those as well. We ought to seek to know God above all else. And when we do that, we begin to live a life that is marked and is different not because we're trying to put on a facade, but because we have a relationship with God. I'm not up here trying to look a certain way so that I can get the praise of some people so that I feel like I'm the in crowd. I'm here living my life the way I am because it honors God. Because I have a relationship with him. I want to honor him in all that I do because he has saved me He has redeemed me, and he has set me free, and I want to live like I'm free. So I have three questions. First, does God have space in your daily calendar? If you have a relationship with someone, you invest with them. God wants to invest with you. Don't let busyness, I'm beginning to hate the word busyness, because it is an excuse for us to just rush through our day, through our week, through our time, not be intentional, to miss each and every moment that the Lord wants to spend with us. Does the Lord have space in your daily calendar? The second thing is, are you fighting sin with grace? Now that's a whole sermon series right there. But what I mean by that is not are you fighting sin by beating yourself up. Not are you fighting sin by trying to just hide it and ignore that it's there. I mean, are you fighting sin by coming in fellowship with community, with other people, confessing your sin in honesty? Can't tell you how important that is. Are we sitting down with those who also know Jesus and say, you know what, I have not honored the Lord this way and this way. And then they receive that and they say, the Lord sees you and he has forgiven you. Repent and sin no more. That is grace. It's not coming and beating myself up. It's not running and hiding in secret. It's coming to the Lord in honesty because there is grace. 
And it is seeking the Lord and is saying, I get to live free because I have been set free. I am no longer defined by my list of sins. I am defined by the Savior who has forgiven me, forgave me of those sins. Are you fighting sin with grace? And are you living each and every day with love for everyone around you? Are you loving others? Are you serving others? Are you striving to live each and every day in the Lord's strength to be more like Christ? Christians, you break that word down, why do we, what's Christian, where did that word come from? Little Christ is what it means. We are to be little Christs. People who are going around and saying, don't look at me, see the love of Christ that is coming through me. That ought to be how we live and interact with every single person we see. And when we do these things, we're so much closer to living with a circumcised heart, to living a heart and a life that is set apart, not for my story, but for God's story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning as a people who are so easily distracted. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, bind our hearts to thee. Lord, might we stay at your feet. Lord, might you bring clarity into our hearts right now through your Holy Spirit over how we ought to be living our lives in congruence with who you've called us to be. Might we be more committed, not to putting on a show, but putting on Christ. Might we be more committed to living like your daughters, like your sons, like your children. Might everywhere we go, Just proclaim who you are and what you've done in our lives, what you are still doing, how we get to live without shame because we have the grace of Christ, how we get to no longer live in bondage of sin because we get to live, we get to move forward, no longer defined by our sin. Lord, might we be the image of Christ to those in the world around us. Lord, might you build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven through us. Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing each other with wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. Conduit, you are loved. Go in peace today.